Hello, welcome to Skull RPG Podcast. My name is Dwight Skull. My name is Jacob Skull. And today we're going to teach you how to tell, tell your, your story. story. So Dwight, in the last one we talked about a known world that you're adapting, whether uh, fiction or real. So if you're not doing that and you're creating your own world, how much planning would you do? Because going into the nitty gritty will get you sucked in for 20 hours of planning and still not be done. Yeah, and I think some of the worst things I've seen and, and felt and even done has been the, here's my 17 pages of the world that you need to memorize. And of course, no one reads it, let alone memorizes it, let alone probably cares. 5,000 years ago, Grand King Sullivan <laughs> yes. shattered, the, shattered the seven thrones and nobody cares. <laughs> exactly. And my whole world is built upon you knowing weird bits of this information and it's just not going to happen. And so then, of course, what happened is, and I'll just put it this way, I think Tolkien, I mean, most of Dungeons and Dragons and thus most of RPG as a whole, like Gary Gygax, based on kind of Tolkien. And yeah. so you have Tolkien, like, building the Cimmerillion so he can then have a backstory, which was she can refer to in Lord of the Rings and less so The Hobbit, but definitely Lord of the Rings, especially the first book. There's a ton of references to stuff that's only in the Cimmerillion that wasn't even out yet. Mm -hmm. um, but was in his brain. And so everyone, all these GMs thought, you know, to have a good game, I need to build out 28,000 years of history from the beginning of primordial ooze to the evolution of man and elves and dwarves. And I now to have the backstories for all these and the high kings going back 70 generations. And you're like, holy crap. And we're starting out as level one farmer someplace. Like who, wh why, why do I care who was the Dwarven King 750 Honest, years honestly, ago? Honestly, <laughs> Tolkien and uh, George R.R. R. Martin are the handful of exceptions in high fantasy that you can do that and it's still being okay because most people just ignore it. I would agree. And the diehard fans will get into it. But the thing is, no one's playing that game for that reason. Yeah. I'm playing my game most likely to be uh, whatever, a wizard, a, a druid, a cleric, a fighter, uh, whatever, right? Um, I don't necessarily, especially if I'm like a fighter, I definitely don't care about the history of 7,000 years ago. Like, I just care about how to swing my sword today. You know, what am I getting magic weapons, sir? How can I hit harder? Like, that's what what's, I care about. What's the ailment of this town that... That I can solve Fixed because down. I can bleed. I can bleed the thing and I can kill it now. Yeah, exactly. What monster is threatening this town so we can go chop its head off and I can go feel good about myself? Not what happened 78,000 years ago that could have spawned the spawn of the spawn of the spawn of this monster that honestly I still don't care about. I want to kill it. You know, I mean, it's not like you're building Greek mythology from the beginning to the end where it's like, you know, and you could have some stuff there if you wish. And this is why most game masters kind of burn out because they end up building this world. And I mean, they build a world of immensity and fantastic imagination. And at the end of the day, the players skim maybe a percentage. And I'm by percentage, I really mean a percentage of a percentage, like point. 1% yeah. of everything most, you ever built. Most GMs normally create a, something on scale with D&D's worth. In scale, if not more. and then yeah. Or Fair Run or anything else. I mean, whatever that. I mean, so many things. The hard part with that is is you're creating a grand world on Epic with high fantasy for five to maybe six people to ever enjoy. Right. And because of that, 
it's going to be underappreciated. Yeah, very much so. So here's what I recommend. So now that I'll stop crapping on the fact that you've created 78 volumes of something for your world. Now, if you're going to publish, then, hey, you get on it, man. By all means, do that. Um, instead, <laughs> what I would recommend is I would recommend building out just enough. Now, I, I say just enough a lot. I've pitched the Just Enough Planning course on this. You can find that if you want. Just go to Skull RPG. Go to Courses. It's there. You'll see it. Um, but the advantage of Just Enough Planning, and I don't mean just my course. I just mean the concept of Just Enough Planning, is you want to plan enough that you can do any kind of cool twists, turns, big reveals. You also want to plan enough you have the names of the NPCs that you're going to have, maybe a couple one-off NPCs that you can throw out if they go, what's the bartender's name? You're like, this is his name. Leave me alone. And then later on, you just write the word bartender in your notes really quick. So you remember that's the bartender for this tavern in case you ever go back there and they ask for his name again. The point is you could absolutely pull a Star Wars and everybody you've ever seen in a cantina in Star Wars has a backstory and a book and a planet. And a Wikipedia article that's 78 pages long, except, of course, for the freaking race of Yoda. But we're not going to get into that. But the point is, you know, everybody, every like George Lucas had a staff for that. You don't have a staff, at least I'm hoping, well, some of you might have a staff. That'd be awesome if you did, I mean, but most of you don't. You also have to get into the reason why. The reason why George Lucas did that is because it's called money, and you're not necessarily gaining money Again, from creating stories like this. If you are... Good on you. I'm really happy you're listening to the podcast. Like, drop us a line. That's, uh, you know, um, just go to skullrpg.com and hit the contact us button. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from any of you, frankly. But the thing is, if you, if you're looking at this from a normal perspective, it's just you building this out for literally the enjoyment of four to six to eight players. And at the end of the day, it's going to go unappreciated. So instead, come up with the names of the stuff that you know you need to have. Do you have three or four factions at war? Cool, you need to have those named. You probably need to have a leader for each. So now you need eight names, right? Done. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, you're going to need to have some sort of understanding of what they do, how they interact with each other, what their goals are. Cool. couple quick spreadsheets, and you know this. Um, you need to know some land masses. Yep. You might need to steal a map, a world map from somebody and Handful adapt it. Handful of pivotal events that's going to happen during your storyline, and... Exactly. How would your, depending on how your players act, can they change small parts of that story? That's such, such a good thing to call out. I'm glad you did because, yeah, absolutely. The whole point of the characters is to change the world. So what are the, what are the current events that are happening that will allow them to change it? Now, if you want to do backstory, you want to do like the big twist, the big reveal, where all of a sudden the big bad used to be the big good guy. What hints are you going to sprinkle in throughout? Right. And then beyond that, if they want to go to a town in this place and you don't have a town there and you, they need and you need a map for whatever reason. Yeah, just pull one up. Just grab a map. Redable the name or use the name of the map. It's totally not a big deal. And honestly, you know, uh, quick, quick foreshadowing from something 20 years ago, something 50 years ago. I literally, because of, you know, because this is uh, right now when we're recording this, it's, it's the, you know, the November of 2020 and I bought the entire box series of murders she wrote like all of them and um 
I'm watching this episode, and she goes to this town. They meet a family you've never seen before. She's, of course, lifelong friends with them. Fine. And something She's lifelong friends with everybody. Everybody she meets. Yeah, it's fine. And then, <laughs> and then all, and she knows all these people by name. Cool. Somebody gets murdered. It's in the name. And then you find out that there's this thing that's happened 20 years ago, and they start force. They start basically backstory telling, and Angela Lansbury's trying to figure out what happened 20 years ago. You literally could do the same thing, where. If you're going to have this huge history thing that you need them to, that, that you're going to create, make them figure it out. Make it relevant to natural, like the current events that actually are impacting the game where, yeah, they need to figure out that this faction screwed this other faction 30 years ago. But in reality, it was this third faction that set the other faction up and set them to war. And your players are going to discover because this war is coming down to having really huge detrimental effects for their village, their country, because the war is spreading to them. They go out, they figure out that, wait, it was this third faction that's been like selling arms to both of them and making money hand over fist for the last 30 years. And the players now have a decision. Do we, A, get into the racket, <laughs> make some money mm-hmm. ourselves, B, tell both sides that this weather side was, was messing with them, but do you have the proof to be able to do that? Will they listen to you? Are you just a pawn of the other side? Do you only tell one side so they know the truth? Do you get another, maybe this fourth faction? Do you get the fourth faction involved to help you tell the other two sides? Of really, I mean, all these great questions. But instead of doing this backstory where you have two factions that are really being screwed over by a third faction and the players never find out about it, why write all that down? Yeah. So if you're going to write a huge backstory, I would say connect it in tangible ways to the present and then make them discover the clues. Tie it into your plot. Tie it into them discovering this would impact the world. Right. Not not buried in 17 pages of pre-written stuff that you hand me that I'm supposed to memorize. Literally, don't give me anything except for, you know, the one thing I'm going to need. Okay, here's here's the thing. And we'll just close with this. Mm -hmm. The thing I need to know, I need to know major parties. Yep. Major political or kingdom entities or villains or whatever. I need to know generally, are there prohibited races? Yes. Is there a race that's more popular than anyone else? Like, did human have humans taken over? Are elves still popular than more than anything else? Is this a dwarven kingdom that we're in? I need to know what kingdom I'm in. Because I need to know what kind of races I can choose. What's the uh, end goal to your player character's arc? That would be helpful to know, but of course, without knowing much about the world, I'm not going to know what kind of arcs I can do on the players. Yes. So I need to know, where are we starting? And again, this is a great place. I'm going to pitch Lexicon again. This is a great place for Lexicon so that all the players can get on the same page to say, are we in a specifically a dwarven kingdom? Are we all dwarves? Are we in a metropolis now? Because that metropolis doesn't have to be a huge metropolis, but because we're in a huge town or a trading town. It's possible for halflings and dwarves and elves mm-hmm. and humans to become a party. Yeah. You know, without maybe having to meet in a tavern. But the whole point of this is can we all then join together and be okay? And so I need to know enough about the world as a player so I can build my character, know what I'm not supposed to be able to do, and know enough to know, yeah, there there are no prohibited races, there are no prohibitive classes, and everything's fine. And we're going to be, and and because of what we're fighting, I'm going to need to be having, everybody's going to have some sort of skills of X. Exactly. Just because of, you need to help your, you need as a GM, if you're going to be throwing them into the world with all of these demons and other unholy things, 
they need to know that so they can spec their character accordingly because they right. would be in the world to know that. Right. Or is your big bad a lich? Okay, then there's a lot of undead. Maybe we should be good clerics. Is your big bad goblins? Okay, maybe not matter then what kind of thing is. But if I'm going to choose somebody that has a bane, then I'm going to probably go bane goblin or bane something along those lines so that I can hit them better. better. But if at the end of the day, you know, and it's fine to say, well, there is no, it's like two kingdoms that are pretty diverse fighting each other. Okay, that's helpful too. So I'm not going to go take a baned weapon because it doesn't make much sense because I'm not fighting enough of one thing to really spend the cash or whatever on the one item. You know, in Lord of the Rings, it makes sense to have a Bane goblin weapon. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make much sense to have a Bane goblin weapon in Game of Thrones. First of all, there's no goblins. I mean, but that's the point. I need to know, am I playing Lord of the Rings or am I playing Game of Thrones? Who are my enemies? Is it people like me or is it a specific race or is it a specific type of thing? I mean, undead. And once I know all that, I can build my character better. Hey, thanks for listening. And for more resources, please go to SkullRPG.com.